This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Easter answers one question for all of us, and that is what it is that God thinks you are worth. When God looks at Derek, Easter tells us that God thinks Derek was worth the death of his son. That's the price that he was willing to pay. Now the question is, is did he get a good deal? Not just for Derek. I, don't know, I think he got a great deal for Derek. I don't know if you've ever seen Derek at the gym, but he got a good deal on Derek. But, but if you were to go into the garage and try to build, I don't know, hypothetically speaking, Brett Carnelli, hypothetically, and you, you were to go to the garage and like, let's get all the parts together, not like Frankenstein level, like where we're just going to find an arm here and sew it on with something we found at Tractor Supply, but like literally get to the core parts of what it takes to build a Carnelli, what would that cost like in parts? Like what, what would it cost? Now, the, the good news is, is the people at the British Royal Society went ahead and did the math for us, so we don't have to guess. Unfortunately, Brett was not available, so they went with Benedict Cumberbatch. Dr. Strange. Very apropos. And so they did the math. They figured out how much phosphorus, like how much hydrogen, oxygen, 30 pounds of carbon. Turns out 30 pounds of carbon, they're not giving that stuff away. That's like $69,000. Turns out hydrogen and oxygen, that stuff's cheap, which is good because you need that. That's the most of you, so it's like $14. Uh, But man, the rest of that stuff, when you get thorium and cobalt and tin, yada, yada, yada. Here's what we know. Here's how much it costs to build a Benedict. $151,578.50. That's what it costs to build a Benedict. That does not include uh, labor or taxes, I might add. So let's round that up maybe to buck 60 when it's all said and done, depending on how many hours it would take. Now, the point is, and the problem is, is that all of the greatest minds in history, in one room together, if you put everybody that was ever born from Galileo to Stephen B. Hawking and said, build a Benedict, they couldn't even build one living cell, let alone a Cumberbatch. Throw the GPI at chat GPT in it. You still don't have the knowledge to do it. You can't build it. And, And by the way, everything that is named in this, you can find in a pile of dirt next door in the cattle farm. And the only thing that makes it different than the pile of dirt, it's a bunch of inert right, materials, is that it somehow it becomes you. And that is what is called the miracle of life. You can put, like, tape them all together with duct tape, and it's still just a pile of dirt. But somehow, some way, someone had the power to build, to design, to create not only one living cell, but the millions of living cells that make someone like me, that make someone like you. And that power, who has the power to create you, has the power to resurrect you. That's what we see in this tomb with a man named Lazarus, was that here comes Jesus. He's looking at the tomb of Lazarus, 
and is going to literally take the, the, the cellular level of who Lazarus is, which is already decomposing, put him back together, and invite him back outside. He just said, Lazarus, come forth. And that statement from Jesus for Lazarus is a statement that he's still making. It's an invitation that he's still offering for you and for me 2,000 years later. CJ, come forth. And if we will listen to that, the call of Easter to come forth, we can see his glory. What do I mean by seeing his glory? That's what he said to Mary. He said, didn't I tell you that if you just believe on me that you would see my glory? Her brother is dead. He's in a tomb. It's been sealed up like a mayonnaise jar. If you will believe in me, you'll see my glory. Now, our modern world is telling us There are all kinds of things that we can believe in, and then we'll see the glory of man. We'll see glory. If we could just believe in our educational system, we'll put your kids trillions of dollars in debt in student loans. If if you'll just trust us, believe in us, you'll see our glory. And that... The glory of our educational system right now is at best I can tell somewhere close to $2 trillion in student loans on our children across America, strapping them to a slave owner called the U.S. government. If you'll just believe in that, then you'll see that glory. We were told if we could believe in the medical establishment and all that they have to offer, put our trust in that, then we'll see the glory. It could save us from a pandemic. And I don't know if you noticed, but it didn't really work. If we could just believe in that, and I could go on and on and on, believe in the scientific community, we could just believe in these great minds and these great institutions that they will figure it all out. They'll send us to the moon, they'll send us to Mars, if we could just believe in that. And in the words of Dr. Phil, how's that working out for you? Everything that we have to put our trust in this side of heaven that we believe in is going to leave us short. We're going to see not the glory of God. We're going to see the the limited glory of man and know that it is limited and it is finite. But what if we put our glory, our trust, our belief in the one who created the very humans that we're told to put the trust in? You see, at the core of who we are, these little cells that are inside of us, we were told from our scientific experts, by the way, you're thinking, isn't this Easter? What the heck, Darren? We're doing a science lesson? Look, if you are not a science kind of person, feel free, you can nod off. I'll, I'll, I'll wake you up. I'll give you the notice when it's time to, to wake back up again. But just for these next couple minutes, would you humor me? Because I want to show you how God is right in the middle of all of this. See, for the last 150 years, some of the greatest minds have told us that you and I were created through this process of selection, of natural selection, that at some point billions of years ago, some little blob of jello came out of another blob of jello and somehow created itself into us. 
Now, in fairness to them, 150 years ago, wandering around the Galapagos Islands and petting tortoises, they used to think, because the microscopes were so weak, that it looked like a cell was an actual little glob of jello. That's as close as, that's the smallest they could see it. But what we know now, 150 years later, is that's not what a cell is at all. A cell, at the core of who you are, is a little machine. It's got its own power plant, right? It's got its own function of creation, of recreation. It, it has its own function of specifically doing things for your body that it needs to do. And in fact, this is, this is sort of a crude creation of it, but this is what more accurately what a cell looks like in your body than a little glob of jello. It's a machine. It's a little, it's a live machine that God has created inside of you that is infused with some kind of life that Stephen B. Hawking could not create. And what we know is that not only is it a machine, by the way, this is called a flagellar motor, not flagellance motor. That's a different motor, and if Jack Vale is here, that is the flagellance motor. Uh, just Google Jack Vale and you'll figure out later what I'm talking about. But that is not a flagellance motor. It's a flagellar motor, and it is because that tail is called a flagellum. That's like a, it's the motor that spins this cell throughout your body to do what this cell is supposed to do. Now, why does that matter? Because not only is it a motor that has the ability to do that stuff, there's also a language inside of it that tells it what to do. And what scientists have discovered in these last few decades is that what tells it what to do is actually a language. There is a language that tells it what to do. There is a code that has been placed inside of that cell that tells it what to do. That code is made up of four letters, and that four letters strung together is three billion letters long in just one cell. Three billion letters, one of these letters is out of order and the whole thing falls apart. Now what a code tells you, if you've used your technology this morning, your phone, you know that there was a code that tells it what to do. If there's a code, there must be a coder that wrote the code. Was it a glob of jello that wrote its own code? If someone handed you an iPhone and said, hey, this thing just spontaneously selected itself and created, would you trust it? But it's even better than that. This three billion letter long code, three billion is a number that it's almost impossible to grasp, but for the purposes of edification and entertainment, we're gonna try. If you were to sit down today, CJ, and you were to start typing one word a second, for eight hours a day, for seven days a week, it would take you 50 years to type three billion letters. And that's just in one cell. Now, inside of that code, it gets better. I know that guys like Gus already know this, so if you'll forgive me for my mind being blown by this, while yours is like, well, duh, I thought everybody knew this. But check this out. Inside of that code, you see those little... They look like rungs in the ladder of the DNA. By the way, if you were to string out all of your DNA inside of your body and string it out end to end, it would go for 10 billion miles, which is from here to Pluto. That's how much DNA is inside of you. Do you see where this is going? 
But those little rungs, they're called bridges, um, is the technical language, technical, bridges. But in between each one of those bridges are those little dots, those are little like nucleides, proteins. I'm using probably the wrong language. I don't have my biology teacher with me to give me the right words. But in between each one of those, there's an order to them. It goes five, six, five, ten. In between one, and it's actually, I'm sorry, I got it exactly backwards. It's between one of them, there's 10. Between the next one, there's five. Between the next one, there's six. Between the next one, there's five. And that repeats over and over and over again. Why does that matter? In the Hebrew language, every letter in the Hebrew language has a corresponding number. And guess what the corresponding numbers of 10, 5, 6, 5 are? Tetragrammaton, the name of God. You are literally wired together by the name of God. Now, for a second, don't you think that the God who was so all powerful to create this, to create you, to create life, isn't it? possible that he could then resurrect Lazarus's life and yours. You see, in death, death is pulling apart your DNA. Death is pulling you apart. It's pulling apart you from God, separating you. Resurrection is putting it all back together again, which is why if we believe in him, we'll see his glory in our own resurrection, and we then can walk in that same glory. See, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And Mary and Martha said to Jesus, "Uh, we're not opening that jar, that's gonna stink. There was no embalming process like we know today. In four days, have you ever driven by roadkill with the windows down and wished you had not? Or you've opened that jar, the mystery jar in the back of the fridge and immediately regretted it. (laughs) The smell of death is a very specific smell and it's the smell of your body being pulled apart at the core of who you are. Death has a smell. If you've ever been around it, you know it and it's one that you can't get away from. But the beauty of what Jesus was saying to Mary and Martha and the others was, no, he doesn't stink anymore because what death is tearing apart, I'm putting back together. And in your life and in my life, whatever the enemy is tearing apart, wants to tear apart, the invitation to come forth is an invitation for God to put you back together to revive you to how he designed you to be. So Lazarus comes busting out of the grave. Lazarus, (laughs) he don't stink anymore, but it says that he was wearing grave clothes. He was still wearing what he had been wrapped in. And you know, about a good smell, what that does, uh, that gets in the carpet. Do you know what I'm saying? 
that'll get in your that'll get in your clothes. You can you can wash off the smell of death from your body, but if you don't change your clothes, in the words of the King James Bible, you stinketh. Uh, my family and I purchased a home back in the early 2000s over on Prince of Wales Court in Franklin, Tennessee. And the previous owner of that house had a, a cat. I- I'll tell you this, I've learned a lot in the last 13 years of being a pastor, and here's one of the most important lessons. Uh, some of y'all don't think cat jokes are funny. Had a family leave the church once over a a cat joke that I thought crushed, if I'm being honest, but I've gotten a few emails, but I'm 13 years in. I'm not, I'm not a rookie anymore. So cats are, you know, they're, they're okay. They're fine. I mean, they're fine. And so, (laughs) see, look at me being mature, walking away from the joke. Um, This previous owner was a cat owner. And this cat had decided on a very specific room in the house that was apparently his urinal. And you walk into that room and you know there's a certain kind of smell that you can taste. Do you know what I mean? kind of sour, a little salty, but there's a flavor to that smell. It's like a presence. It's like dark. It's like literally someone has blasphemed the carpet. Like it's just bad news. And there wasn't enough Febreze in the world to take care of that. So what did we do? We had to pull up the carpet and get rid of it. Lazarus Walking out of the tomb is alive, but he's still got his grave clothes on. And Jesus said to take those clothes off. They stinketh. They're not going to do you any good at all. And the promise for us is that Jesus' invitation for us to come out of the tomb is not only for us to live again, not to have to stay inside of our life of death and sin, but to walk out and leave the stink of death behind. And at Jesus' resurrection, it's very specifically mentioned that he, when they walked in, when Mary walked into that tomb, his grave clothes were folded up and left behind. Some of us who have walked into a new life with Christ have carried our grave clothes with us. And Jesus' invitation was to walk into a new life and leave all of that behind us. And the reason that we can, the reason why Jesus can say to us, come forth, we know he has the power to do that because he just resurrected Lazarus. He has the power to literally put your life physically back together again. But the way that we know that he has the ability to take the sin away from us is because not only did he resurrect Lazarus, he himself just a few days later would be crucified, buried, and resurrected, paying the price for that sin so that we could leave it behind. I told you a little bit ago about a 
a motor that was inside of a cell that, that was the power of the cell. And we called it the flagellar motor. It was a word called a flagellum. And when I read that, something jumped out at me that I thought, wait a minute, I've heard that word before. Remember, this is the power of the motor, of the, of the, the cell. It's the flagellar motor. It's what powers the cell. This flagellum. And it was on the back of Jesus that the Roman soldiers would strike his back with a scourge that was called a flagellum. See, the thing that powers my life Romans 1 tells me, is my sin nature. I didn't need a good teacher. I needed a savior. I didn't need behavior modification. I needed transformation. And the thing that powers me, the flagellar motor inside my cells, isn't it wild that God would allow the flagellum to be the thing that is on the back of Jesus? It's my sin very specifically your sin, very specifically that he paid for in his death. Isaiah, Peter, both say that it was by those stripes that we are healed. It was my sin that beat Jesus on the cross. It was my flagellar motor, so to speak, that crossed his back and shredded it. And it was his body that was broken for me that would allow my broken body to be put back together again. Living in his glory means coming out of that tomb Jesus says was the firstborn of many. Following Jesus out of your tomb, there's probably three different kinds of people here this morning. Maybe more, but there's three basic kinds that are here. There are those of you who have followed Jesus out of the tomb. You have heard his invitation to come forth and you have followed him into a new life just like Lazarus did. That's what a baptism signifies. The Not just a washing. The baptism of John was a cleansing from the outside in. This is a baptism of Jesus which was to be buried, right? Die, buried, resurrected into new life. That's why we say that. It signifies that we don't have to die that death because Jesus died that death for us. So one category of people here this morning are you who have said, yes, Jesus, I'm following you out. I'm getting out of my tomb of death and I'm leaving behind the stinky grave clothes and I'm following you into a new life. That's probably one group of us in here this morning. There's another group of us. And you... You're still dead in your sins. No shame in it at all. You know why? Because Jesus took the shame as well. Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy set before him. That he, remember we just sang, he did not despise the cross. You know what he despised? He despised the shame is what Hebrews tells us. 
Now, by the way, me, I'd be despising the cross. I really despise pain. I don't enjoy having nails driven through my hands. That's what I would have despised. But he despised the shame because the shame is what keeps you in the tomb. And he hates it for what it does to you. He despises it for what he does to you. And he came to set you free from that. And so if you're still in that tomb, you just have to do what Mary did, what Martha, what me, what millions of people, billions of people around the world in history have done, which is to put our faith to believe on Jesus. And at that invitation to come forth, to literally come forth out of the death of your tomb, of the darkness that is in your life and Jesus' invitation to you this morning is just the same one it was to Lazarus. Come forth. Come out of that tomb. There's another kind of person that might be in here, a group of you maybe, and that is that you have come out of that tomb, but you're still walking around with your grave clothes on. Jesus has transformed you, but you're still holding on to your old life. And you might be thinking, yeah, but it doesn't smell that bad. Nobody's getting hurt. You understand when Shannon and I bought that home, people lived in that home. They didn't smell it. They got used to it. But every time someone walked into that room, they were like, whoa, that'll knock you down. If you're walking around holding on to your old life, of sinful nature, of your lust, of addiction, of anger, of rage, of darkness, and you're holding on to that and thinking it's not hurting anybody, it's just because you got used to the smell. You're stinking up your house, you're stinking up your family, you're stinking up your children. And Jesus' invitation for you this morning, you're out of the tomb, I've resurrected you, put away those old ways. Take off that sinful past and put on my righteousness. What did we sing? Robed in righteousness. That is the promise of God to us that I don't stand before him robed in my stinky grave clothes. Isaiah says that even my best attempt at being righteous is nothing but filthy rags because it's just not clean enough but in his presence we can be robed with his righteousness. There's a phrase in, I think it's 2 Corinthians 2.15, where it speaks of the aroma of Christ and how amazing that smells. One of my favorite smells on the planet is the smell of fabric softener fresh out of the dryer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Bounce, those little dryer sheets. Am I the only one? Is there a better smell besides cinnamon rolls? I mean, is there a better smell... I just realized now I'm saying that it's cinnamon rolls. That's actually better. But, but we're using the clothed in righteousness, so I've got to go back to bounce. Um, walking around smelling like Jesus smells like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Clothed in his righteousness, his work. If you're sitting on the end of an aisle, on the, what, what side are we on this time? The left side. So this left, stage right. Look under your seat, and if you're not at the very end, you may have to crawl down there. You're going to find a communion basket down there. 
take one and pass it down. And if you're at the end of the aisle and you're the last person to have a basket in your row, just place it under the seat at the end and we'll get those at the end. And while you're doing that, if you could pull open the little tab and you'll find a little wafer-like substance on the top of it, go ahead and open it right now. And as we do that, I want you to know that this is a reminder of the broken body of Christ, that his body broken for you means your body is put back together. So if you would take that wafer and place it in your mouth and it symbolizes his body being broken And it's important that it's broken in your mouth because it was broken by you. It was your flagellar motor that broke his body, your sin nature that was broken for you. And then the juice, which symbolizes his blood. See, the reason Jesus can't write a check for you for $151,000 is it's not enough. It was blood that it was required because it's blood that we have drawn and he paid it willfully and gladly. You can partake of that. And I'm going to pray for you now. And I want you to go back and remember the three different groups of people. There's two of you very specifically I want to speak to this morning. First, I want to speak to the group of people that, man, you've been in the tomb. It's maybe the first time you've darkened the door of a church in ever. Jesus is calling your name this morning, saying, come forth from the tomb. I've paid the price. I left my grave clothes in the tomb. You can do the same. And so as I'm going to pray for all of us, you can pray individually right where you are. And it's just very simple and also very complex because you're praying, Jesus, I was wrong. I've been putting my faith in a little glob of jello that rose out of water. And I want to put my faith, I want to put my trust in the one who could actually create me. Not only create me, but recreate me and resurrect me. It's it's repentance. It's I'm leaving behind. It's all it means. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm changing my mind about this and I'm turning around. I'm going out of this tomb. That's some version of that prayer that you are about to pray just where you're sitting. And if it's the first time you've ever prayed something like that before, we want to be able to show you what the next steps are to walk out of that tomb. You can send a text message, Faith 23 to 97,000, and we'll just send you some some ideas, some things that you can do as you follow Jesus. Somebody's thought through some things for you that could be the next steps for you. And for those of you, maybe you're battling, you're, I keep, I'm hanging on for all your life, these grave clothes, and you want to let them go, and you can pray this morning, and your repentance is, I'm just dropping this stuff, and I'm trusting you, Jesus, and you also would, I'd love for you to send a message, and if you want to use the QR code, that's there too, it'll just send you to a place where we could send you some information. So I'm praying for you right now, but as I'm praying over you, you get to pray right where you are, for God to come into your life, for Jesus to revive you in the way that he has revived Lazarus and the way that he has revived me, the way that he's revived billions of people throughout history. Heavenly Father, the one who has created my life, you have the ability and the power 
to resurrect my life. Today, Lord, there are those in here repenting and turning, going back out of the tomb into new life. You love them. You did it willfully. You did it joyfully. Lord, if there are tears, there are tears of repentance. Let them be tears of joy because of the joy that you loved them so much. Every institution that has betrayed us, you, Jesus, will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Father, for the men, the women, the young people that are walking with the grave clothes still on, Lord, give them the courage this morning. Break the power of addiction over their lives. Break the power of depression and anxiety and sin. Break it all off of them today. Tear those grave clothes off and let them walk clean, robed in your righteousness today. We are all in for you, Jesus. We are living all out for you, Jesus. Revive us. That is our prayer. Revive us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.